This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We connect with some of the most impressive millennial entrepreneurs in the world on a weekly basis to share their stories with you and inspire you to think deeper about what matters. Today is no exception. We'd like to welcome Philippe Eldick to the podcast. Philippe is no stranger to relinquished control. Growing up in the conflict zone of Croatia and witnessing his parents struggle with economic uncertainty, his identity felt hard to self-map. Despite these life-changing events, the most notable one came while he was cracking open a cold one with his friends at the pub. Five years ago and a whirlwind trajectory later, Philippe is now the co-founder of Blue Dot, a company specialising in high-accuracy location tech for mobile phones that deliver personalised engagement. Without his leadership or game-changing idea, the GPS on our phones wouldn't be as precise and battery-friendly as it is today. Now that's our kind of innovation. In this episode, I'm delighted to talk to Philippe about how he navigates uncertain times, his mastery of leadership and how he found the courage to keep moving forward. Take a listen. Phil. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by the Peers Project. We're so excited to have you. Thank you very much for giving me the time. Really appreciate it. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. We had a bit of a chat when you were in Singapore recently. And when I looked into you and the awesome work you're doing at Blue Dot, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you making it here today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I look forward to having a chat and sharing a few of my experiences and uh, sort of sharing what makes me tick. Love that. We love it. Awesome. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are, Phil, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Yep. Um, so uh, my name is Philip Eldick. I am the co-founder and executive director of Blue Dot. Um, at Blue Dot, we um, we specialize in very high accuracy location technologies for mobile phone. Uh, in layman's terms, we invented a way to use GPS in your phone that doesn't drain the battery. And we can pick up when a phone enters a really accurate location, charge payments, deliver messages to phones, those kind of things. Oh, we love that. Mm. It's it- so unique what you do. I think you've really found a niche there and I cannot wait to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I want to start with a question which I've often found to be very insightful and revealing and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? 
Yeah, so I believe my upbringing had a massive impact um, uh, to my life. I think it defined me um, and, and really shaped my future career and direction. Um, so I was uh, born in Bosnia um, and I grew up in Zagreb the first couple of years, which is in, uh, in the capital of Croatia. So I was there for the first couple of years of my life. And when I was two years old, my parents decided to move for them back to Australia because they already lived uh, uh, in Australia, in Adelaide, from the 70s. Um, and they took me along. Um, and I grew up, basically my first memories are in Australia, in Adelaide. So I was there from when I was two years old till I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. Um at the time of uh, at that time at eight year, when I was eight years old, uh, my parents decided there was a good time to go back to Croatia uh, for a whole range of reasons, mainly personal. Their their parents were getting old, so they wanted to spend some time with them. And uh, we came back to Croatia at the time when the Yugoslav wars were just finishing. Um, so I basically moved back to Croatia uh, just in time for um, sort of some of the final parts of the conflict uh, where it heated up. Um, and I think some of my earliest memories, not earliest memories, but some of the more impactful ones in the early stages of, of my life were, um, you know, jets, uh, uh, air raid sirens, um, seeing tanks rolling down the street, that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't say that I was ever, you know, too close to a conflict, but it was just always around you. It was always sort of quite a present thing. Um, so one thing that what that did is that shaped a massive interest for me in politics, in uh, military affairs, um, and that sort of uh, shaped a bit of my uh, my uni degree uh, later. So I'll touch on that in a sec. Um, so yeah, that that was a fairly impactful thing for me. Um, I then grew up in Croatia. Uh, I was there from when I was eight years old till I was nineteen years old. So uh, did primary school, um, high school, where I did a diploma in IT. So I was an only child, uh, which I think also uh, taught me to be quite imaginative. You know, you have to spend a lot of time with yourself. Um, you have to try and find ways to entertain yourself or, you know, create your own games or, or company. Um, so that sort of, I think, shaped a bit of my, probably my creativity. And then my dad, uh, he was a businessman as well, had a, uh, several companies himself, um, uh, some more successful than others. <laughs> and sort of seeing him and the struggles that he went through and, and um, seeing, I guess, the, how businesses work, um, that probably got me a bit interested in, in business and the economic side of things. So those um, early stages really defined, I guess, where I'm where I am right now. You know, an interest in probably larger geostrategic and, and sort of bigger picture things, which led to a liberal arts degree. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, like I said, the the sort of IT stuff in in high school that led me to really liking computers, understanding software architecture, and that pushed me towards my current career. Mm -hmm. Um, one last thing to add, um, I started studying law then uh, just because I was told I had the gift of the gab and I could make a good argument. So I uh, pushed myself to go study law and uh, quickly realised that I had a soul and I couldn't be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> no offence to any lawyers who are listening. Um, and had to, uh, I just really wasn't happy in that. I didn't see a career. And um, at that point I was... Uh, I was 20, 19 years old. I hadn't been to Australia for literally 13 years. And I just went for a quick trip to sort of say hi, uh, so, you know, see relatives I hadn't seen in ages. So I got to Adelaide when I was 19 years old again, uh, fell in love with the place and just realized, you know, okay, probably time to make a move. So when I was 19 years old, got on a plane, moved to Adelaide uh, myself, uh, started working in financial planning, corporate finance, uh, things like that. I realized I probably should finish university and uh, then plunged myself into a uh, what ended up a, uh, being a double degree in economics and politics at University of Adelaide. 
So that was sort of the trifecta, IT, uh, geopolitics, and uh, business, uh, the business side in economics. So uh, I dare say that my childhood really shaped me. Mm. Wow. I love it, Phil. It's so good to hear. And you and I have talked about this before. We've had a chat about this. But it's so cool to hear it again and that whole spiel around, you know, where, you know, back and forth between Croatia and Australia and then that kind of navigating what it is that you wanted to study, what your passions were, and then continuing on and moving back to Australia full time. I want to talk a little bit about, firstly, um, that time when you moved back to Croatia and that you know, the civil war was still it was still going on, and you said there was like bomb, bombs going off, and you know you could hear things around you. What was that time like for you? I can I can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, I think when you're a kid, uh, you know, you you probably tend to see the lighter side of things. You know, I was like, oh, cool tanks. Oh, look, cool, there's a jet in the sky. <laughs> you you wouldn't you you wouldn't think of it as bad. And yeah, like I said, I was wasn't close to the front lines or to any uh, kind of real combat, so it was I think probably less um, less scary as a kid. Um, but I don't know. It gives you a bit of a sense of the gravity of life. I think in the in the early days, you realise that something different is going on. You know, you see a lot of conversations about uh, politics, about uh, identity politics in particular, and, and we see a lot of that rising these days in mm-hmm. you know across the world. So I was exposed to that at a very early stage. You know, are you you know who are you? Are you Croatian? Are you uh, Serbian at the time? You know, does your religion define you? Does your ethnicity define you? So that that sort of I think loomed large for me later in my life. Mm. I think it's it's so interesting to hear that kind of you you had to deal with that at such, young, at such a young age and that came about those questions came about at such a young age. Talk to us a little bit about so that decision to to kind of end up studying politics and, and economics. You talked about you know, your father was in business, he'd got multiple businesses. You obviously were surrounded by that political you know upheaval when when you were in Croatia. Mm. You know what was it like when you started studying studying politics? I guess at university in Australia and kind of learning about and economics and learning about how they all come to play you know together yeah well there's um there's i think a couple of points of, of my transition from uh, you know from europe to australia um and uh, it's a bit of an interesting story how i landed at my degrees uh, but i think one of the first transition trans i guess transitions for me was actually learning uh, to think in english write in english because mm-hmm. i'd never actually uh, you know written an essay in english so all of a sudden i was dropped into a university and sort of hey you know here you go try and uh, try and succeed so that was a bit of an adjustment um, in terms of the university, because I, I was uh, working in, in uh, corporate finance and financial planning at the time, I actually started a corporate finance degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I moved to Adelaide, I met uh, my best friend at the moment, the person who'd become my business partner now, uh, Emil. And Emil, he uh, is actually the brains behind, uh, you know, behind the operation, I always, always say that. Uh, he himself is an incredibly driven human being, and a lot of that has rubbed off on me. Um, so he has, I think, five degrees under his belt. Uh, so double bachelors, then honours, and then a double masters in public policy and diplomacy while working at uh, for Gillard and Rudd uh, in the office of prime minister and cabinet. Wow. So he, he's a very driven person, and I remember I met him in, in as soon as I came to Adelaide, and we immediately formed a friendship. We both shared sort of interests such as geopolitics and and uh, uh, politics in general. So when I uh, started university, it was a corporate finance degree, and then I just remember um, I, I called up Emil because he was the one pushing me, saying, you know, you've got to go back to university, and he'd moved to Canberra at the time to work. And I remember I called him up and I said, uh, hey, man, I've, I've, you know, I've signed up to university, you know, uh, how good is that? And he goes, how many degrees are you doing? And I said, one. He goes, don't be lazy, do two. It's one more year <laughs> and you get two. 
So uh, at that time, also realized, you know, I got to follow some of my passions in corporate finance specifically uh, on a high end just really wasn't it. Mm -hmm. So I tried to get a balance between some real world skills in economics and also have a liberal arts degree. Now, I believe that a liberal liberal arts degree is incredibly important, not necessarily for the content maybe that you learn in there, but the way that it teaches you how to Mm -hmm. think, how to uh, look at the bigger picture of things and how to actually criticize, you know, what actually is around you and, and think about it in a different way. So, um, yeah, I slugged on with the degrees while working full-time. So my standard routine through five years of university were I'd get up at uh, 9 a.m., I'd get to work at 10, I'd work till about 2 p.m., I'd go to the city, I'd uh, knock out a tutorial or a lecture, Um, I'd go meet up with uh, my now wife, I would then uh, go back to work, work from sort of 7 p.m. till midnight, then from that, I'd go to the gym. I'd come home about 2 a.m., fall asleep at 2 a.m., wake up 9 a.m. the next morning and do it all again. So I was regular for a fair few years. Jeez, it's it's crazy, isn't it? When you look back and you think, how did I even manage to kind of make that happen and make that work? It's funny that you talk about uh, corporate finance and that you made the transition because I actually studied a finance degree as well and I was on track to be in a corporate finance career actually um, until the love for podcasts came about. No, um, but it's it's funny because I think there is such value in doing a traditional degree but making sure it's, it is around your passion. So I did corporate finance and I did lang- arts as well. I did languages, so French and Chinese, uh, which doesn't make any sense because I'm neither French nor Chinese, but, you know, you do what you've you got to do. And um, it, it's funny because, you know, I think I learnt so much more from my arts degree and so much more from the languages and travelling and the transition to different cultures and that's why I so so much identify with, with your story and and your transition from Croatia to Australia and back again and all that all that jazz. Um, I love that. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about that. I want to dive deeper into the transition culturally. So you said you had to learn English, you know, what, what, what else, what, you know, what else came with that? Well, there, there was a fair few things actually in that transition. So, um, one of them was, um, you know, trying to uh, change, I guess, your identity and it wasn't trying to learn English. I could speak English very well, but you know, when you close, you know, you close your eyes and you, or you're just going about your day and you're thinking like, oh, I've got to go pick up shopping. That thought was in Croatian. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden your brain switches and it starts thinking those internal thoughts in English. And that was really, really weird for me that, that, that sort of transition, I'd catch myself just going like, who am I? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, the transition uh, was an interesting um, uh, piece. You know, there's a lot of um, things happening in my life at that time, um, you know, b- trying to figure out your future career, your identity, um, you know, based on, on ethnicity or things like that, um, and uh, tr- you know, trying to incorporate into a new culture. But I also had another pretty impactful moment. Uh, so when I was moving, uh, so this was... This was about two months before I left uh, to uh, to move to Australia. So I told my parents, "Okay, I'm moving." Uh, my mum was, you know, very emotional about it, uh, and I was chalking it up to, you know, I'm an only child, so she's obviously going to miss me, um, which which obviously was the case. But uh, there was something, I guess, a little bit deeper behind it, which I uh, didn't really realise at the time. I sort of didn't have that many inklings. So my mum sat me down two months before I moved to Australia, and she was you know, very emotional, crying, and uh, she said, "I got to tell you something." She goes, "I love you with all my heart, but uh, I'm uh, I'm not the woman who gave birth to you. I'm not your mum." And so I found that I was adopted at 19 years uh, old. Wow. So that was a bit of an interesting moment. Um, I went colorblind for about 12 hours. Uh, I think it was just from the shock. Like everything was grey. It was a really weird experience. 
Um, so, um, yeah, that, that was like a, a pretty big uh, sort of thing for me. Uh, and it had to, uh, two months after that, I'd moved, uh, you know, so I had to grapple with, you know, who are you? You know, wh where do you come from? Uh, uh, you know, uh, you're a migrant to a new country. Uh, my parents were also Bosnian Muslim. So where I, sort of the way that I describe myself now is that uh, I was born to Bosnian Muslim parents, uh, grew up in Croatia live in Australia, own a business based in America, married to a girl from Singapore. Um, so, I don't know, if someone, you know, asks you, who are you? Oh, you know, to Gone answers, for days. Either a roll of the dice or yeah. the way that I like to describe it. I think actually this shaped a, a bit of my view on, on identity in general. I think that identity is something that's very, that can be very flexible. It can change with time and with influences. And I think we've gotten to the part, to a part in the world where, you know, just what I described, you know, I, I fit into many, many different places. So I think I'm a citizen of the world, probably best description. I love it, honestly. And I, I, it's so cool. It just, I think it makes, it makes who you are and your story and what you're about and your business and everything so much more interesting when, when you kind of, it's all encompassing, you know, you're like, I'm not, I'm not from one area. I'm not one type of identity. And it's something that I like to embody also. I, you know, I think it's just being as inclusive and just, and just embracing all different cultures and nationalities. It's so important. Mm. Um, awesome. Okay. So this, I just, I'm loving this conversation. There's still so much to talk about. So <laughs> I want to dive a bit into, start diving into a bit, bit more of your business journey. So obviously, you know, you got to Australia, you met your co-founder at the time, you didn't realise you guys were going to go into business. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just kind of how, how the initial idea came about, how you guys decided to, decided to start. Easy. Well, um, I think, first of all, the general sort of, um, uh, I guess, focus for myself on business itself came from uh, a bit of angst uh, where, you know, I had that delay in transitioning from one university degree in one side of the world and then to coming to Australia. I also had a gap of two years before I went into university. So, you know, basically by the time I was graduating, I was like 26 or 27, whereas some people graduate at 22. And I did not want to go into, a, you know, some kind of a corporate, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, program and sort of work my way up slowly. I knew that I just wanted something a bit different, some kind of flexibility. There was something that was, sort of, that was driving me internally. Um, and uh, so, yeah, when I was coming towards the end of my university degrees, um, I was uh, uh, I was sort of uh, just frustrated and thinking, you know, what can I do? There, there has to be something. And entrepreneurship was something that was on my mind for a long time, I guess, because, you know, I saw my dad doing it. So um, I, I remember I was at uh, university and I came up with, the, uh, with an idea uh, to actually replicate a system that I saw overseas where you could pay uh, for your parking by texting a number on your phone. So you text your car registration and it would just, you know, charge to your phone bill for your parking. So I thought, okay, that's going to be a good idea. Um, so I started doing research in the last year of university for, you know, how to open a company, how to find government grants or supporting or funding for your, uh, for your business. Um, so I did all that preparation and um, then I did one last check before I was sort of sort of ready to pull the trigger and start that and found that another company from the US had come to Australia and done exactly uh. that. <laughs> so, we don't like that. <laughs> so, so like any um, good startup idea, it started off with me at a uni bar with a fair, a fair bit of alcohol and um, I was just sort of uh, sitting on the lawns at university after a few drinks and thinking, well, what the hell else can I do you know, if that idea is already taken? And I started thinking, about uh, you know the continual theme of payments and of uh, of uh, mobile phone and transport and I was like how do I sort of uh, combine that is there any other iteration 
And that's when I came to, I guess, what was my uh, initial idea. I realized that there was no way that your mobile phone could pay for your tolls when you drive on a toll road. Uh, you have to have, you know, an e -t uh, like an e-tag in your car and an onboard unit and big infrastructure. So that was the first idea. Why don't we build a smartphone app that pays for your tolls when you drive onto a toll road or a toll bridge? So I told that idea to uh, Emil um, over, just he came down for Christmas from uh, from Canberra and we we're just having a beer. I had no intention to actually ask him, you know, to work with me. Uh, just having a few beers, chatting over it. And he said, yep, cool, where do I sign up? Mm. So he quit his well-paying job in Canberra, uh, which I was shocked, and he uh, moved temporarily to Adelaide for three months where we found a accelerator program. So accelerator programs for you know anyone who's looking to start a startup, incredibly helpful. Ours was particularly good, um, and it really helped us shape the initial vision of the company. It helped us change from what was going to be, I guess, a, a you know a, a tough sell. It taught you about business, about startups. It gave you, it gave you initial connections. It helped us raise our first money. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of really helped. So that, that was the genesis of it. That's how we started it. Mm. It's so cool. I always love asking this question because every time I do, it always ends up being, oh, you know, we were just having a beer or, you know, I just kind of, I was sitting down one day and I just thought, you know, it's it's very always very kind of nonchalant, very just, it just comes to you. And I love that because that's when I think it's quite natural and that's when I think it, it really does end up working out. Um, okay. So I think what I'm most surprised at by that, I mean, obviously, awesome idea, very cool, but that your business partner was so, so Emil, was yeah. so just ready to dive straight in and just go for it. Like, talk to me a little bit about, and as were you, you know, at the same time, you were just graduating or, or you know, in your last year and, and, and you both kind of thought, no, let's just go for it. Yeah. What kind of motivated you, motivated you guys to do that? You know, where did that courage come from? So for Emil, I think he's always been driven to succeed, whether it's been in politics or business or whatever. It's you know I can't speak that much for him where that came from, uh, but I think for a lot of people uh, like ourselves, a lot of entrepreneurs, stuff comes from uh, childhood. Mm -hmm. And I remember once for me there was there was a moment where I sort of realized, okay, I want to do something, you know, uh, you know. Sorry, right now I realize I want to do something a bit bigger, something a bit more important. But uh, where that came from was actually a moment when I was a kid. Um, and I remember this moment, uh, you know, uh, it would go to me with the uh, to the grave. So I remember I was sleeping. I was about, I don't know, probably been about seven years old, something like that. And I just remember as, um, you know, any married couple, my parents were uh, having a debate about money and my dad was stressing about uh, paying a mortgage and money and everything. I remember just in, as they were talking, I was still awake. I remember my dad saying, and it, was not, it wasn't actually the situation, but as a kid, you can't really sort of determine it. He goes, I don't know how I'm going to pay for bread tomorrow. Mm. And uh, it was a comment in, in sort of the heat of the moment. And I just remember that stuck with me. And that idea of economic insecurity, you know, as a kid, you always like, oh, money's going to be there, food's going to be there on the table. And that sort of comes in and sort of hits you. And I think that that really, I, I just remember that that moment, that sentence throughout my whole life. So I think that's something that drove me. And then you compile that with, uh, you know, coming as a migrant to a country where you still have no education, no networks, no friends, no uh, pretty much, you know, no, nothing there to support you. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that really drives uh, a feeling of need, uh, a feeling and, and a need uh, to establish some kind of security for yourself. So I think that's where entrepreneurship comes. You know, some people maybe react to that by seeking incredibly stable employment, mm -hmm. you know, corporate job. Uh, for myself, it's more, to, it's sort of more, I want to guarantee that for the rest of my life, I don't have to worry about that regardless of my capabilities. And also, uh, I don't want my children to have to worry about economic insecurity. So uh, I think that's a, a, always been a pretty big driver for me. The other part is Star Trek. 
and I am a hefty nerd. I love, <laughs> I, I love sci-fi. I, I love um, uh, sort of watching it. And I think it's the reason is sort of that that sense of wonder you get with science fiction. You know, what if what if this was possible? And um, I, that kind of thought process shaped me a lot as well. Where I thought, you know, okay, no one can pay for you know tolls when you uh, with your phone. I was like, that would be really cool if we could change that. You know, uh, you sort of uh, probably a bit of ego in there as well. You're like, I want to change how the world works. Yeah. I want to build something that no one else can do. You know, push the boundaries of what's out there. And uh, and then also you have a, a, a desire to sort of uh, build a secure future. And I think those those kind of things shaped uh, shaped myself. Mm. It's it's so interesting to to find out this all of this. I think it, there's so much of that I personally identify with. I think that idea around you know building that secure future where you don't really have to worry about money. You, you're not thinking what's a you know what mortgage payment do I have to pay? All of that kind of jazz, and it just kind of flows. It's very fluid. And it's so funny that you say that about your parents' conversation because I was. So my parents came from, so my dad came from Africa and was very driven himself and, and my mum was was also quite driven but my dad was just, you know, and it's so funny because I don't, as a child, so when I came along, it, they had already, dad had gotten himself out of his situation and, and they really started building their own company and so when I came along things were quite, I wouldn't say easy but, it, you know, we stable. had stable, exactly, and so... But when my, when my sister was born, it wasn't the case. And she, similar to what you were saying, like st- heard stories like that, oh, my goodness, how am I going to, you know, how are we going to get, obviously it's not how are we going to get to the next day, but you know, sayings that, that kind of around money and whatnot. And that's definitely shaped her. And I think it's it, it still shaped me in a way because obviously I've, I've not lived it firsthand, but I've heard so many stories. Mm. And it's... I love that distinction you made around going for that secure path, corporate job versus starting a business. I think so many of us millennials even, now that there's so many choices around what to go do with ourselves and you know what to go, what to go do once we finish university, many of us still to, still lean towards the corporate path as that secure, you know, bread kind of the, becoming the breadwinner, whatever it is. Talk to us a little, about, little bit about what you think about the two. Well, I think there's... Um I can probably summarise my view on on my path in one sentence. I think that entrepreneurship or startups, you know, I I try to use them uh, relatively interchangeably, uh, the term, but I think the definition of of entrepreneurship is trying to create value under circumstances of extreme uncertainty. Mm, Uh, And that's particularly with startups. So if you, uh, you know, if if you can't handle uncertainty, right, you'll still try and create value, but you'll do it through a corporate job. Now, if you're willing to take into uh, account, you know, uncertainty, risk, if you have a tolerance for that, and I obviously did, that's when you'll do, uh, you focus a bit more on entrepreneurship. So I think that's a, that uncertainty is a, the biggest differentiator. Mm. What were some of your hardest, most uncertain times during this journey? <laughs> I know there will be many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, talk to us about a big one. Uh, I got a big one for you. Uh, so <laughs> I remember we started. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of just touch a little bit about how the journey sort of progressed, uh, and I'll get up to that moment. So we we entered into a startup accelerator program, uh, myself and Emil, with that idea for the tolling platform. We uh, had the chief technology evangelist for Microsoft startup program come down as a mentor, and we were like, "Hey, we we want to build this." And he goes, "Oh, guys, this is a great idea, but you should give up and shut down immediately. There's no way you're going to pull this off. Even if you pull it off, you're going to need tons of money, and it's just not going to be feasible." And we sort of said, "Well, 
thank you, mentor. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that was, that was sort of moment oh, number one. Um, and we kept pushing anyway. He, you know, had a couple of points because technically to achieve what we wanted to achieve uh, was impossible because uh, if you've ever used GPS in your phone, you know, Google's turn-by-turn navigation, it drains the hell out of your battery. And we couldn't, uh, you know, Microsoft, Apple, no other company uh, had gotten or, you know, Google had gotten past this restriction. So we had to sort of you know, invent the the impossible, and uh, luckily we managed to do that. Jeez. So uh, we, we started working on, uh, you know, on, on just really pushing the boundaries. You know, if someone tells you no, you have to challenge that no all the time. Uh, what that's resulted in now is seven patents. You know, a company that's been around for years, a fair few clients uh, across the world. Um, so you know, you have to push, keep pushing with that. So we pushed through the accelerator program. We went to raise our first investment round so we could, you know, hire people and actually have a company and start building a product. So my first baptism of fire was walking out to Adelaide Town Hall, Madonna mic'd up in front of a thousand <laughs> investors and try and talk about, you know, this, this idea that I had and why they should back us. So we managed to raise our first uh, investment round, which is $225,000 from some local angel investors. And then uh, we relocated to Melbourne uh, just to get a better you know, access to the market, both jobs and customers, and uh, we found our office. So the probably the biggest close shave and sort of moment of uncertainty was in those early days. So, you know, you have very little money. You're trying to just really scrape through day by day. You're cutting every corner that you can. And uh, I remember uh, we actually received a government grant called the Commercialization Australia Grant, I think it was called. And uh, it was a time when the government was changing, so from Labor to Liberal, and we were getting payments regularly. And I remember the, gov- the election happened, the government changed, and we got a call from the government organization saying, oh, by the way, we're, sorry, we're stopping your payments. And we had a payment scheduled for three days from then, and without that payment, we would not make salaries. So I remember myself and Emil sort of, we, we walked out of the office and we're having a conversation with the, with the government department and they're just going, sorry, there's too much uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen when the government changes, so we're stopping all payments. And at that point, you have to, as a uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, we had to walk back in, look at all of our employees oh. with a smile, with enthusiasm and go, hey guys, let's just keep going. But with the knowledge that in three days from then, you're going to be not going to be able to afford salaries. And that was um, probably one of the more uncertain moments in the company. Now, we got, you know, 48 hours later, it got unblocked and we managed to get everything sorted. But I think that re- that moment really crystallizes what I was talking about, that, that uncertainty and the ability to just keep pushing through that uncertainty. Because as soon as you get caught up into it and, and you start worrying and you start, uh, you know, you let the, the fear of the stress start throwing you out, around, that's when you start getting into trouble. You have to be comfortable with just going and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Mm. How do we get comfortable? You know, what what can we do to get in that mindset of you know we've got this. Let's just keep pushing through. When you, know, you walk into a room and you, you might have to fire all your employees tomorrow, mm. you know. Yeah, I think there's sort of twofold. One part is that uh, there has to be something in your background. Mm. Like that, there has to be something that is driving you. You know, like I said, for me, you know, it was a, both a migrant story and, and just a need to push for economic security. For other people, it'll be achievements. Some people, you know, just want, maybe it'll be an ego that's driving them to say, you know, I want awards and accolades and I want to be able to say, hey, I've been able to do that. Um, so there has to be some kind of a driver that's in your personality. Mm-hmm. But even if you have that driver, that's not going to be enough unless you actually learn, uh, uh, you know, learn the, the the tricks of the trade, I guess, and learn um, how to actually manage a business and how to manage the ups and downs. That's where the accelerator program really sort of helped uh, for, for me, you know, because I was going from a, 
uh, wet behind the ears student to all of a sudden having to lead a team of people. Uh, now 30, uh, 30 of us odd, 30 odd, I think. Um, and, you know, that requires personal growth. It requires you to um, be able to learn from mistakes very rapidly. Otherwise, you're sort of doomed to repeat them. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you. Well, let me tell you what. After that time, when we sort of, you know, got that three-day close call, uh, we've I've done everything in my power not mm. to ever put myself in that position ever again. So yeah, you, you live and learn. You live and learn. And I just think, wow, there's so much I'm taking in here. And I know all of our peers out there listening are just taking it all in as well. Wow. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about that progression, you know, that swap from just, you know, uni student through to, I think we've got this idea. Mm. And then you're like, now I'm running a company with, you know, tw- even if it was 10 at the time, you know, how do you get into the mindset of, of, of being a leader and actually just taking aboard all those responsibilities mm. as they come? Yeah. So uh, exceptionally painfully. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the best description. I hear you. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think that quite often I've been asked, sort of, you know, how did you, you know, how did you go and start a company? How did you go and decide to be a leader and decide to do this? I think that a lot of times it's not a decision. Mm. Like I remember just six months into the company looking back and going, oh, holy crap, we started a company. I, you know, just had <laughs> no, no, I didn't really understand what I was getting into. So uh, I think sometimes it has to be a bit of blind faith, you know, mm. going into it, jumping in and, and finding uh, finding your feet. And I think that's what most sort of success is, not just in entrepreneurship, but, uh, you know, cr- across the board. Our people just sort of take a risk and they go, hey, let's go do this. Um, but growth is incredibly important. Um, and one thing that I think I've been able to do is sort of learn from other people around us. So we've surrounded ourselves in the company with uh, people who are just truly amazing and mind-blowing. Um, one of the uh, people who has uh, been really influential, uh, who we actually have on our advisory board, uh, was the founding is the founding CFO of PayPal. Um, wow. And that was an interesting one. Uh, I went to uh, CBIT, just still, you know, uh, wet behind the ears, no product yet, talking about uh, – I went to a pitching contest to try and pitch for funding and stood up and talked about, you know, hey, we're going to build this and we're going to do this and uh, didn't get any funding from it and went back home. And uh, I just remember getting an email like a month later saying, hi, I'm the founding CFO of PayPal. I'm interested in working with your company. And I thought, yeah, right. And the Prince of Nigeria is going to be the CMO. So, <laughs> so I deleted the email So instantly. bring them all. Yeah. <laughs> So I deleted the email instantly, and uh, yeah, then my uh, my uh, co-founder Emil he sort of goes, "Hey, you know that that email looked a little bit legit. Can you sort of dig that up?" And really, it was the founding CFO of PayPal. Um, he was the twelfth employee there. Um, he, someone who he knew heard us pitch and said, "Hey, you should you know have a look at these guys." He's been on our, he's been a non-executive board director um, oh. with the uh, for yeah basically since the company started. Mm. Um, we then have um, you know a lot of uh, the investors that have invested in the company, you try and leverage a lot of their expertise. So these are people who have built, you know, companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars, um, you know, people who have gone through personal and professional battles and they've sort of been there and they've seen that. So you, I think you spend time with them, you learn, you absorb like a sponge, you call mm. to them in a point of crisis or in a point of indecision um, and try and leverage the expertise of others because mm. you can't do anything yourself. And I, I think any successful entrepreneur will be the, you know, that that's the first thing they'll say, I depend on the people around me. I depend also on, you know, my co-founder, my employees. You learn so much from them as well. Um, our, um, you know, uh, the, the first person we ever hired, our chief technology officer, 
he's such an incredible human being and the stuff that he's gone through himself also we have a lot of similar journeys in the company he is actually uh, Tamil and uh, wow. uh, Tamil Tiger as uh, as a child soldier I believe so uh, wow. he had quite a background as well came to Australia not knowing the language taught himself the language put himself through uh, uh, high school then university now as an associate lecturer um, you know, he's just a, this incredible human being with an incredible drive. And I think if you find people like that and surround yourself with them, they, you, you have no choice but to absorb and, and to learn from them. So uh, that was absolutely fundamental to my journey, having those people around me. Mm. It's so – I love that you mentioned that because I just could not agree more. I think it's it's so funny looking back. I mean, even just – outside of my business, I started the show, this show two years ago. And my sole purpose for this was just, I just want to surround myself with people who were super driven, who were doing awesome stuff so that I hopefully one day could be like them. And it's so funny looking back on that. It feels like a, it feels like I started this 10 years ago, but it's so funny looking back and it, it, I just couldn't agree more. It, it's the people who you surround yourself with, whether, whether it is on the talk show or whether it is in your company or your circle of friends, you know, um, and I think that that's just rung true, stayed true for me throughout this whole journey. I think it's so obvious that it's the same for you as well. How do we find those people who we gel with? Um, short answer, beers <laughs> for, for your friends. Um, but it's, Podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> podcasts. Um, look, I, I think, um, you know, some people come to you through luck, like the, you know, mm. David Jakes, the uh, PayPal, former PayPal CFO. That was, you know, I, I put myself out there. So mm. that's the first thing. You know, if I'm sitting at home just yes. watching TV, you're just not going give to give the opportunity. You never know what's going to come if you put yourself out there, talk. And, uh, you know, I was, I was just talking about an idea at the time to uh, for funding on the other side of the world and I got to this person. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's pure luck. Other times it's, um, you know, focus. So you will find, uh, you know, an investor, a business partner, a person, and you'll go target them specifically. And you re- when I say target, you know, you reach out to them through LinkedIn and say, hey, do you have time for a coffee? Do you have time for a beer? It costs you nothing apart from two minutes of your time to give it a try. And you would be shocked at how many people at, you know, any level would just go, yeah, I'd love to catch up. You know, let's just spend some time together. Someone will give you 45 minutes or an hour of their time. So um, I really think that's important, you know, getting out there. And then especially if you can get to the point of getting to uh, sort of networked events. So, um, you know, I've been going for a long time to every Melbourne startup and technology event that I could find. And you find so many great people, whether it's, you know, people to join your team, whether it's uh, investors, whether it's business opportunities. Uh, I think interpersonal skills are incredibly important for anyone who's, uh, you know, going to be an entrepreneur. And you need to be able to talk. And as you can tell by how much I'm talking, I can talk. (laughs) I think that makes two of us. Um, I love it. And I just couldn't agree more, especially when you said that LinkedIn thing. I mean, that's literally how I've built my business. And it's it's so funny. People think, oh, how did you find that? Even today, the reason why you and I are sitting here is because I reached out to you on LinkedIn. And and it's... it's, I think these days it's so much easier. You know, back in the day, you know, our parents' generation, they didn't have the opportunity to go, I can go connect with this person. They had to physically go. And now we have this awesome thing called social media where we can actually use that, um, you know, not just for socials but actually to connect with phenomenal people. So I love how you took note of that. Awesome. And, look, I mean, we could talk forever, Philip, and I I honestly – I just, I'm loving this conversation. I know all of our peers out there listening will be loving it too. Um, so I do want to start to, start to slowly wrap up and, and talk a little bit 
little bit about, um, you know, all you've done over the last five years. So, you know, to date, you've raised over 12 million USD in capital. Your company has three offices across Sydney, Melbourne, and San Fran. As you, th- as you said, 30-odd people. You know, your clients are the likes of Red Rooster and you've got partnerships with those Salesforce. You know, what does it feel like now after all that slog? You know, five years later, here we are. You know, talk to us a little bit about how that feels. Um, it feels, I'll sort of describe it in two words. One is uh, surreal. Uh, obviously, you know, I started this by, like I said, just having an idea and having a chat with a friend at a beer, uh, you know, at a pub and then it just sort of goes from there. Um, but the other part is that uh, I think your goalposts always shift as you progress. You know, so if I set my goals at the beginning, so, you know, if I could get to, you know, have an office or have an employee or have a product that works or earn a dollar, you know, that that would be great. And now sort of as you go, you realise those goalposts move on and you have to change your approach and and how you work uh, you know to achieve that so for myself um you know if, if i um so going ahead over the next uh, couple of months we'll be opening up office in uh, another office in texas i'm hoping to have one in uh, in the eu as well to sort of cover that market uh, right now, I'm traveling so much that I'm, uh, uh, you know, really getting to feel like the world is sort of my back pocket as well. That both a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I think that you know, in, in business, your goalposts always will change. And I think where I, I'm going towards is, uh, you know, what I started with. Hey, let's build this tolling platform, which by the way now is out there. Uh, it's, it's in Australia. It works. It charges millions of dollars of payments a year. Uh, when you're detecting, you know, from satellites in space, when people drive into areas as, you know, accurate as like five meters wide, mm-hmm. charge millions of dollars of payments when they cross imaginary lines, like those kind of things in and of themselves are just these incredible achievements. But now I think my goalposts have moved where I'm sort of saying, well, if we can do this kind of location stuff that we do much better than what Apple and Google and others can do, well, I want that to be the new standard in how every, you know, application, every mobile phone, they should use that as a new standard, uh, given it's accuracy. So that goal is a very lofty one. That goal is, um, you know, years and years to go, um, you know, really long time. Um, and it will take a lot of um, an, an amazing team around me. It'll mm-hmm. take more funding. It'll take also a lot of challenge, uh, a, a lot of, sorry, effort from uh, myself and, and it will challenge me. And I think I've managed to get a clearer vision of, of what steps I have to go through, what challenges I have to beat in order to do that. And mm-hmm. um, I, I got to say, I really look forward to the future. And um, yeah, I, I think if I look at my last five years, you know, six years with the company, what I've managed to achieve, it is an incredible amount, uh, but it really is just the beginning. Mm. Oh, I love it. We cannot wait to see where you take this field with you and your team. I can only see big things in the future. And that's also what I love about you. And, and so many of our entrepreneurs on the show, we just think so big, you know, and I think that's one thing if, you know, those our peers out there listening, you know, it's just think bigger, you know, think bigger, have a bigger vision. And, you know, we're all here to back each other. You know, that's what this show's about. That's what entrepreneurship's about, really, at the end of the day. And so I just love it. Awesome. So, you know, before we uh, start to close today's episode, I just want to take a moment, Phil, to uh, to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, listening to all of your struggles in the past, starting up, you know, your ideas, moving to Australia, back and forth from Croatia, you know, to where you are now, it really is just so inspiring. And I think so many of us out there can really take what you've, you know, the lessons you've taught us in today's episode and, and just 
you know, take them and just apply them to our own lives. I think that's what this is really about. So we really acknowledge you and appreciate you for that. Thank you very much and thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Of course. So we'll finish with our final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Hmm. That's an interesting question, um, and I'm actually going to challenge the question a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, if you the, the way that I see it, at least for myself personally, it's not a question about value. It's if I didn't pursue what I wasn't, uh, what I wanted to do, I would not be me. I, it, it's not a question of how much better or how much more am I getting. It's it's either you know you do what makes you happy, you do what drives you, or you do nothing at all. Uh, that that's sort of how it is for me. It's much more black and white than I think that most people would sort of look at it. It's um. Yeah, it's, it becomes who you know what defines you. It becomes your personality and uh, the challenges that I've gone through, what I've managed to achieve. That is me, and it's given me you know some awesome experiences. I've learned an incredible amount about myself, about the world, um, in in a very very short period of time, and uh, I just wouldn't be me without it. Oh, I love it, Phil. Thanks so much. Where can, where can our peers learn more about you and Blue Dot? Um, you can just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you can uh, you know, ju just hit me up in any which way you can actually get to me. I'm always <laughs> happy to have a coffee um, you know, and just sort of share some of my experiences. So, um, yeah, always available. We love that. Awesome. That's, that's the end of today's episode. It was amazing, Phil. Thanks so much. We've had an absolute blast and I cannot wait for our peers out there listening to have a listen in and to hear your journey and your story. So we really appreciate that. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs> <laughs>